With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go AU Fur. With me again this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. Hello, everybody. And U Street. Hey, y'all. All right. Uh, you may not believe it, but is actually Recruitmas here in June. Uh, the Was that a, a Junior Day visit weekend last weekend? Is that why we had all the recruits on campus? Uh, it's just the uh, just the official visit that they set up because they're at camps all these next couple of weekends. So, thank you. That's okay. So last weekend was a big weekend for recruiting, as evidenced by the fact that they got five verbals all within the span of twenty four hours, I think, um, including uh, a real big one that we were competing with uh, with Iowa for. And I'll be honest, I don't remember the kid's name because I'm not following recruiting too closely right now. Andy, do you want to walk us through uh, what, what everyone should be excited about coming out of last weekend? Well, you know, with, uh, there were several players on campus. Um, we have five commits. There's a couple players who the Gophers still are very interested in who didn't commit. But one of the big ones, uh, as you said, that we were competing with Iowa for was uh, a cornerback from Florida named Solomon Brown. He's a, he's a three-star corner, um, had offers from Iowa, Iowa State, Indiana, Boston College, Syracuse, 511170 um and basically everybody was after him cuz he's a pretty versatile D-back. He can play safety, he can play corner. Um you know, he's got some he's got some really good speed. Um you know, there's one play in his tape if you ever look at his tape where he basically misses a tackle and gets up and ends up chasing the guy down about 40 yards downfield. So he's one of those guys who never gives up. Um and like I said, anytime you can beat Iowa for a guy that they both desperately want, supposedly uh, Iowa still thinks they can flip him. The, the rumor is he's still going to take his visit to Iowa here uh, in a week and a half. So we'll see if the Gophers can hang on uh, and keep him after that. But uh, for at least right now, we're, we're pretty happy to have him in the fold. Um, otherwise, you know, we got a couple of linebackers in, uh, in James Gordon and Donald Willis. Willis is from Ohio. Uh, Gordon's also from Florida, uh, both three stars. Um, you know, Gordon's got some pretty good offers. If you look, we beat out some SEC schools, ACC schools for him. He had offers from Kentucky, Missouri, North Carolina, Purdue. Um, you know, he's only 5'11", but he's got crazy athleticism. Um, you know, crazy speed going sideline to sideline. So that's why I think Rob Smith is pretty happy with him. Um, you know, if you're looking at the other linebacker commit, Donald Willis from Ohio, um, you know, his, his offer sheet is uh, pretty Midwest centric, Boston college, Illinois, Iowa state, Purdue, West Virginia. So there's a decent school that we beat out for, um, you know, he's, he's going to be more of your pure tackler. Wouldn't be surprised. Um, 
he may even move a position. He's a pretty good edge rusher. Probably not big enough to move to, to the end, but you could see him um, possibly moving back to safety as a possibility. Uh, he's 6'1", 202, so he could sort of slide back there as well. You know, and then the uh, the last commit I don't think we talked about here. We got uh, another D-back, uh, TJ Robinson from Florida. So we were raiding, raiding Florida this weekend. Um, you know, Robinson has an offer from Louisville has an offer from Iowa State. He was previously committed to South Florida 6'3", 181 safety. So you've got your, you know, your Cam Chancellor type size and your safety. Um, you know, he's the tallest defensive back um, the Gophers have, have signed so far and has the has that size to, you know, really defend that jump ball type receiver. So uh, he'll need to put on some weight, but obviously the Gophers are pretty good at uh letting their kids take a red shirt and get on some weight. So, um, you know, who knows if any of these kids will have to play as, as freshmen. We'll see them on the field in, in the fall of 2019. But, uh, you know, all in all, it was a pretty good uh, first summer official visit weekend for the Gophers and P.J. Fleck. Yes, yeah, it's, it's weird. I, I'm trying to remember how the last class went because after the way the last class closed – with, you know, some big four stars and, and just signees that we weren't expecting or at least that wouldn't have normally signed with the Gophers previously. It's actually weird um, when you're not paying super close attention, like I'm not right now, how it feels a little underwhelming as a class, but yet it's really quite comparable in quality to what uh, Minnesota was signing last year. And we haven't had, you know, the coaches haven't had a chance to do any of the late closes that they did last year. Um I know we're not all three of us the biggest recruitniks in the entire world, but are are you guys feeling pretty happy with things so far? Street, like, are you are you liking this class? Yeah, so far it seems to be shaping up well. The primary weakness that they had last year was they didn't have any defensive tackles. They've heavily recruited that particular position. Iowa Gopher has a good article up on the blog that's sort of breaking down the current recruiting class. The other name that was not included in the most recent recruitment is, of course, quarterback Jacob Clark, who will most certainly take a redshirt next year unless he is phenomenally good, which means that he's your likely quarterback of the future after Tanner Morgan, Zach Anikstead, whoever. So they finally got their second quarterback. I am sure if you were someone who pays a disgusting amount of attention to recruiting, that's helpful. You no longer have to freak out that P.J. Fleck can't find a quarterback. I would say that some of the challenge with recruiting is unlike, you know, basketball where, yeah, it's possible that a guy flips, but by and large, the second someone takes a verbal, that's the school they're going to. It's still relatively early in the cycle, and I think certainly with P.J. Fleck and staff's ability to identify talent, one of the factors that I imagine will come later is that other schools will come snooping to try and poach, and we'll see if he'll be able to hold off those other schools. Yeah, because um, who did Notre Dame just offer? Brock, right? Yeah, Notre Dame offered uh, Jaleel Block, running back out of Illinois. Uh, he, he was here for the visit weekend this past weekend. Uh, had a lot of good things to say about the Gopher program. He's also, uh, he just got offered by Notre Dame, but uh, before the Notre Dame offer, it, it pretty much sounded like it was down between Minnesota and Iowa. Uh, not this weekend, but the weekend after, he's taking his official visit to Iowa. Um, and he was expected to uh, make a decision in, in basically late June, early July. So uh, I think one way or the other, we'll probably be hearing 
hearing things on that. Um, he's a, another really good running back uh, out of the state of Illinois where the Gophers have had a lot of success early in this recruiting class pulling players. Um, just taking a quick look overall right now, uh, if you look at 24-7's recruiting rankings, the Gophers have the 19th best class in the nation, and that would be good for fourth in the Big Ten behind the Big Three of Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. So um, it won't stay at 19, of course, once all these other schools start nailing down some big commitments and things like that. Um, but the Gophers are off to a, a fairly good start, and now uh, now P.J. Fleck and the rest of the Gopher staff can start trying to identify those sort of late comers uh, and, and, you know, some additions to the class who might not be well known but could be sleepers. Uh, remember, at this time, until um, Flack and company had seen several players at camp this time during the summer, we had never heard the name Rashad Bateman. We had never heard the name Braylon Oliver. Um, so there's still a couple camp opportunities here in the next three weeks that the Gophers will be at, and it's quite possible they might find the gem of the recruiting class still to come. Yeah, I do like that, that they take the camping seriously. And also that they're willing to do the camping more nationally because that did not seem to be a Tracy Clay's staff thing to spend any time doing the joint camps around the United States. It was always come to Minneapolis and that's basically it. And that's just not a good way to operate in this uh, in this environment, honestly. I don't think. Switching over to basketball because um, – as long as we're talking personnel and personnel moves, um, what the heck? The be- we barely Stock- – Stockman was barely with us. Like, never played a minute, never – I don't even really read all that much about him other than he was coming from Louisville to Minnesota, and now he's gone. Um, somebody want to, you know, help me understand what, what what's going on here? Yeah, that's more or less the ballad of Matt Stockman at the University of Minnesota. He was a transfer that Richard Pitino took. It's reasonable to suspect that given that he came from Louisville, he was perhaps a soft landing from Rick Pitino pre-everything that has happened to Rick Pitino in the last year. <laughs> Stogman was likely going to play the Bakari Kanate role, at least the original Bakari Kanate role from last year, which is he'd give you 10 to 12 minutes a game, he'd be a third body, he'd soak up fouls, and he's big he's seven feet tall which means that if you were facing off against a nick ward or nathan happ that you would have another large body to throw at that particular player stockman transferring in and of itself is a little bit strange because the gophers can ill afford to get to have an open scholarship this late in the cycle heading into obviously uh, the upcoming season the reason though that there is an expectation stockman transferred was that he decided it was in his best interest because richard patino likely told him some variant of the gophers are looking to acquire another player and in this case that player is likely to be gino crandall ryan james who's at 24 7 has a phenomenal twitter account is obviously highly plugged in to the world of basketball recruiting especially basketball recruiting in the state of minnesota notes that gino crandall is likely the person who is coming in crandall is the point guard from the university of north dakota he's going to attempt to become a graduate transfer and i say attempt because i'll explain in a second why there's an attempt he is also a two-time big sky player he averaged 16 points a game shot 50 plus from the field shot 40 percent plus from three-point line last year he weirdly is a relatively poor free throw shooter but he'll slot right in to the university of minnesota men's basketball team with that 
He's at the moment the expectation <laughs> is that Minnesota is going to be the favorite for his signature. He's a local kid originally, went to deal with Sal. Though also you have Xavier, you have Colorado State, you have a couple other teams. It is, however, improbable that the Gophers would have pushed for Stockman to transfer if they weren't relatively confident that Crandall would sign with the, with Minnesota were he to graduate. And here comes the particular challenge, which is that Gino Crandall, as of a month ago, was not a possible graduate transfer because he needed 24 credits to graduate. However, there was some rule change, thus reducing the number of credits he now needed, which means now he only needs about 19 credits to graduate. I, when I was a undergraduate at the University of Minnesota in my final year, took 18 credits in my last semester because I'm an idiot. And that semester was absolute hell. It appears that Gino Crandall will have to do roughly the same thing in about six to eight weeks. That One, doesn't sound very fun. Uh, now it doesn't sound, sound tremendously fun. It's also an open question, and this is to say nothing bad about the kid, but it's an open question as to whether or not he'll be able to accomplish that, because 19 credits is a lot. It's especially a lot if you're having to juggle a lot of other responsibilities and in a compressed timeline. Now there's an expectation. Yeah. There's an expectation, obviously, that for someone who's graduating, who's put a lot into the program, and who has the support staff that a Division One athlete does have at a at a Division One university, that he'll be able to accomplish this. But it's still an open question. And if he is unable to graduate during the summer, he will not be able, no matter what he would like to do or what Minnesota would like to do, to join the team for the fall semester. Well, this is the point where we also rip on the University of North Dakota and go, yes, classes at the University of North Dakota. How hard could it be? Well, accurate. I I think even then, there is, this I think is a, is a pretty reasonable question. One of the things that broadly occurs, and I think you'll see more often in the next upcoming years, is there, as there becomes less restriction on player movement, in the NCAA sports in general, be it basketball, be it football. The only two sports that actually matter, according to the NCAA, are basketball and football. So we'll just focus on those. As you see more freedom of movement for players, which I think you've seen recently with the recent transfer rules in football, but I expect you'll see even more in basketball, is kids being able to move quicker. Nonetheless, there is still a student portion of the student-athletes and the student portion uh, rarely is talked about. I think here is, in fact, an issue where the student portion is going to be really important. Crandall, I fully expect, will do everything that he's supposed to do to graduate, and wherever he decides to sign will be where he decides to sign. But this is certainly not a conversation one usually expects to have when breaking down a graduate transfer. From an on-the-basketball-court standpoint, Crandall is fantastic. Absolutely would help the University of Minnesota. Certainly gives them... Uh, two things. One, an actual backup point guard, which right now is like maybe Dupree McBrayer or Amir Coffey or a combination of several players slotting in to back up Isaiah Washington. So you get a backup point guard. Secondly, you get senior leadership, which is always helpful for a team that is very much certainly for Tropatino in win-now mode, but also has the talent to be quite successful. And having another high-character guy in the locker room would be very helpful. Yeah, but here's the question, though. Can we consider him a high-character guy if he chose to go to the University of North Dakota? Yeah, it's, it's an open question. I'm going to say that one should not hold teenagers' stupid mistakes against them. 
I mean, <laughs> it, 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 he, he isn't playing hockey, so, I mean, it's not like you get that. You know, I think the first day you walk into Ralph Ingolstadt Arena as a, either a recruit or a, or a freshman, they saddle you with that type of baggage immediately, you know. We, we can consider him more like a, a Jim Kleinsasser, who seemed to be a really good guy after playing football for the University of North Dakota and then playing for the Vikings for 10 years or whatever it was. So we'll just we'll just pretend that as long as he doesn't have to walk into uh, Ralph Engelstead Arena, he's, he's just fine. One can only hope he will leave the University of Minnesota as beloved as Jim Kleinsasser was uh, as a full ba- uh, fullback in the NFL, because bye-bye fullback in the NFL. We don't see enough of you anymore. All right. Um, well, you guys have touched on it a couple times um, related to, to some of the recruiting and, and the Stockman transfer. The NCAA just kind of blew up a lot of the things that we have gotten used to for years when it comes to the rules and regulations, uh, governing transfers, governing red shirts, a whole bunch of stuff. And I don't mean blow up as did a bad thing. I think in general, I'm from what little I've read on it this week, um, I seem pretty pleased. I personally am pretty pleased with what it looks like. Um, but I don't know. What are you guys thinking? Andy, are you a big fan of the new transfer rule? Because at this point, the transfer rule is really, you can transfer anywhere you want at any time. All you have to do is notify your school. And the only slight restrictions that can be in place is the conferences can set up some restrictions about interconference transfers. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think... To, to my point, I think, you know, the, the transfer rule is nice and will be good for players. There won't be any instances of coaches basically saying, all right, you can transfer, but you can't transfer to these 15 schools. Um, <laughs> Bo Ryan. Know, Bo Ryan. Bo Ryan, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think that will be good for the players. And, well, it's going to be great for the players to, to have that freedom and things like that. I honestly think the redshirt one, at least for the University of Minnesota program, is drastically more important um, to how we're going to view our sports teams. Um, if you haven't been paying attention, and we've been remiss at putting up a post on the blog on this because I'm a failure and actually had more important things to do, um, the NCAA passed a resolution saying now, at least for Division One football, that all players are allowed to play in four games and keep a red shirt. So that means basically the injury red shirt is now no longer a thing. Um, you've got four games. If you play more than four games, you lose your eligibility. But if you play in four games or less, you can keep your year of eligibility for one redshirt year. Why is that big for Minnesota? Uh, if you've got a lot of youthful players, don't think that P.J. Fleck wasn't thinking really hard about pulling Blaze Andrews' redshirt at the end of last season. And if the current rule, which will be in effect for this upcoming football season, was in effect, he could have played three games at the end of the year and still been a redshirt freshman this year. Uh, the Gophers' backup quarterback there is a true freshman in, in Brock Anikstad. So if Zach Anikstad. Brock, Zach, though, sorry, is a Brock redshirt is a, freshman. Brock is his brother, I apologize. Zach, uh, so if either A, he has to play a game or two while Mo- Taylor Morgan, if Taylor Morgan gets hurt, or if he just wants to get some action and mop-up duty, you don't have to lose his redshirt. He'll still be a redshirt freshman next year. Um, you know, even even the players who want to play a redshirt won't see that much playing time. You know, if the Gophers make a bowl, you'll see a lot of freshmen maybe fighting for playing time. You know, the rumor last year was um, the our defensive tackle, um, Obi, and I'm going to slaughter his name, Uizu, Uizu, I can't even pronounce it, Big O, 
is their his nickname. Uh, the rumor was he was tearing it up towards the end of last season. If that's the case, Fleck could have given him two or three games at the end of the year to try and see if he really was one of the best defensive linemen we had on the roster. So I yeah, think that was that was one that stood out to me because um, Ben White Speed Receiver made a comment uh, to uh, other writers. You know, if you've got a if you're facing huge depth issues on your D line or in the defense, or you've got a dude who's tearing it up, and we get to Wisconsin, and what's always happened is now we're depleted, and Wisconsin runs all over us. Well, now you can choose to play these guys and at least get depth rotation to maybe make that game a little bit better than it would otherwise be. Well, and you can even take it back and look into moments and go for history. You know, if this rule is in effect eight years ago, you play Philip Nelson for two games in the middle of the season and he's still a freshman freshman the next year instead of burning an entire year of his eligibility because Marquise Gray got hurt. I mean, you you can see all sorts of places where it would have been amazing to have this rule in place in previous seasons. So I think this will really, really benefit Minnesota in the next couple of years, especially while they're, you know, still basically turning over the complete roster from the Kill and Clay's roster. And, and you know, our I think if I remember the stat or something like that is our, we're, you know, freshmen and redshirt freshmen or something like 45 or 46% of our roster right now. So I think the next year or two it's going to be a big advantage for Minnesota. I feel like, oh, I was going to say, I feel like there's uh, there's rules we're missing. And then I realized, that's right, hockey rules changed today. They're seriously changing all the rules. Um, I'm not clear on all the hockey rules that are changing, uh, but I did notice they got rid of the shootouts, which, good job, NCAA, because shootouts are dumb. Um, I mean, Andy, just quickly help, help recap for you know Minnesotans who care more than most uh, what are the hockey rule changes? Well, the hockey rule committee met and approved a couple different rule changes. Basically, there there are two or three big ones. The big one is they have uh, now decided to go to a standard five-minute, five-on-five overtime period for all levels and all both men's and women's, all conferences. So no more shootouts. There will be no shootouts to determine the to break ties. If it's tied after five minutes of overtime, it's a tie. Um, that's making some of the more adventurous hockey fans who were friends of the NCHC mad because what they did is they played five minutes of five-on-five and then instead of going to a shootout, they played five minutes of three-on-three before then going to a shootout if they absolutely had to. Uh, That will no longer be the case. Every single conference, every level, men's and women's, will play five minutes of five-on-five and then it's a tie afterwards. And then, of course, once you get to the NCAA tournament, it's... It's the 20-minute sudden death play till you absolutely have to. Um, another rule change they made, which uh, won't be as big, but you'll you'll know. Uh, in previous years, teams were allowed to dress 18 players for a game, so most teams would dress, you know, your um, four forward lines and and six defensemen for 18, not including the goalies. The NCAA approved now letting a 19th player dress, which you see a lot in international play, uh, but this will be the first year that the college game does that, so now allows you to, to dress either a 7th swing defenseman um, or allows you to dress another swing forward who can who can jump in and, and take plays. It's basically a player safety issue in case you know of an injury, you don't have to run out guys, double shifts, things like that. Um, but if you have a deeper team, like Minnesota seems to have generally, um, getting another guy on the ice instead of sitting up in the press box is, is generally a good thing. 
Um, and then in their traditional, we're going to decide to call one penalty really early in the year and emphasize it and then watch it disappear starting about December 1st. Uh, the NCAA is going to be emphasizing slashing penalties to start the season. So for those first few games in October against UMD and our uh, Hall of Fame game, North Dakota, <laughs> um, you're going to be so slick of slashing calls, it's not even going to be funny because the refs are going to be calling them left and right. And then suddenly, right about December 1st, you'll uh, forget they even know what a slashing penalty is. But but those first few weeks, uh, you're going to get slick of sick of a lot of slashing penalties. All right. Um, question time is has a special theme today. It's not just question time. This is gourmet question time, um, which pretty much means I have very little experience to offer because I'm a terrible cook. Uh, we tossed out some questions to y'all, um, tried to get try to get you thinking about uh, or ask for questions for us. Um, we didn't get a ton of questions back, but we didn't get we did get into some arguments about. Uh, What's the proper way to prepare a brat? That one went on in the wild for in the comments. So we've got a couple questions uh, to get each other arguing a little bit here. Uh, question number one: What is the best tailgate food? And Street, you get to start us off. I would say that the best tailgate food is hamburgers. I think that it doesn't really matter what kind of meat you use. It's probably preferable to use an eighty twenty for ground beef, as Ron Swanson notes. Cow beats turkey. So in that sense, it matters, but any kind of ground thing will probably be fine as long as you slather it heavily in ketchup. If you put an abundant no. amount of mustard on your... No. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying. If you put an abundant amount of You're mustard wrong. on your hamburger, you are a bad person. Oh, I thought you were about to say a whole bunch of ketchup and a bunch of mustard. So you're only half wrong. Nah. Ketchup's fantastic. No. Fancy ketchup, the kinds that, you know, the gastropubs make, that's fantastic. The rest of it's just sugary slop, and don't put it near my grilled meat products. Oh, this is fantastic, because I now get to break out one of my two favorite food facts. The first one, uh, the second one is related to wine, and anyone who attempts to believe they know something about wine likely bullshitting you. But the first one is that Heinz 1852 original ketchup is unequivocally the best possible way you can make ketchup. It has all of the different flavor profiles, and fancy ketchup is just expensive nonsense. Well, I'm not saying it's not expensive nonsense. I'm saying it's good, and regular ketchup is not. Regular ketchup is fantastic. Andy, evaluate say, evaluate I, our food opinions here. I'm going to say I'm uh, I'm on street side on this one. I am a fan of ketchup on a burger, and you can take those fancy frou frou ketchups and just keep them at the bistros where they charge you eighteen ninety five for a burger. Um, at our tailgate, it's Heinz, and yes, Chris likes to go without, and that's fine. You can eat your dry bun, you know, grease bomb burger by itself. That's fine. I I like. I like ketchup with the way I make my burgers. The, the the profile goes well, so it's not know. it's not by itself. It has cheese. If you purchase the correct bun, it's not dry, and you season your burgers perfectly well. It doesn't need sugary nonsense on it. Well, you can go by the you can go by the buns next time because I just buy the cheap shit. So, well, I felt your bun. I felt personally your bun selection has been perfectly acceptable, and Cubs cheap buns have been more than adequate. For my tailgating needs. Are we doing phrasing? <laughs> it sounded for a minute you were talking about feeling up my buns, and I got a little alarm there. So, you know. 
Well, I, I did drink, you know, a decent amount of bourbon earlier. Perhaps I'm confusing, you know, words and making them sound bad. I don't know. That's not. I'm not helping myself with that comment either. So we're moving on. Speaking of people <laughs> dunking themselves in alcohol, one of the things that we discussed on the blog and that there was a flurry of comments about was whether or not one should douse one's brought in alcohol, specifically beer, before putting it on the grill. I have no opinion on this because, again, Team Hamburger. But for you two, should one have beer batter brought or no? I don't know if I'd batter it because that would make it more of a corn dog. But um, I, I am in I am in personal favor of if you have the time, energy, and want to spend the money to put beer as a preparation method for your brat, that you should go that route. Um, but I don't think it's like a must-have. I, I've had plenty of brats that are not beer-soaked brats that are delicious. Um, I, I just I'm not opposed to it. Like I, they're uh, sacrilegious. Sacrilegious comment is sacrilegious. But we have a friend in Madison who he prepares them with cow spotted cow. They are delicious brats. I will eat many many of those anytime I see him, uh, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Um, but I don't think the fact that he does it that way means it's like the only way or the best way. It's just a good way to do it. Mr. Fancy Ketchup here will tell you that the type of beer matters and that the fancier beer makes a better brat, or at least that's what he's saying. No, I'm saying, I'm saying if the beer has a quality that will make a nice crust on the brat, that matters. But I personally use Coors Banquet. The limited number of times that I prep my my uh brats with beer i just use coors banquet that's not fancy it's just a i don't i don't throw them in like slop like you know natty light or something i don't think that counts you might as well just piss in some water and then set the brats in that instead the correct answer is hams um Mm. and 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 clear blue waters if you're just doing a normal brat or a normal beer brat then yes i think Boiling them in brat with some onion gives it a little bit of uh, a better, better flavor profile. Now, if you're doing one of these hoity-toity gourmet brats that either has stuff stuffed in them or, or things like that, then, you know, maybe you don't want to give those a, a, a boil and some beer beforehand because it can sort of tweak your different flavors. But if we're just talking about your classic good old Johnsonville pull it out of the package, the way I see it, beer has, has two options. One, you, you give it a little bit more flavor with a little bit more onion. And, uh, you know, sort of rounds it out. And two, if you're using a cheaper tailgate grill like I have, you don't absolutely burn the living crap out of the outside of your brat and leave the inside raw. Now, some people will say, well, why don't you just have patience and put it on indirect heat? I'm cooking the tailgate. I want to eat a brat within five minutes. I don't want to wait 45 minutes for my brats to cook while all tailgating. That's not the point. I'm gonna tra- I'm gonna translate that comment. I've been drinking for two hours. Now I'm hungry. I don't have a sense for what time is. We just need them warm and in my stomach. That would be another positive aspect of it. Is yes, you can do that <laughs> while you're about eight sheets to the wind. Because if you're gonna burn them, it's because you're completely oblivious to what's going on. And yes, they're already pre-cooked, so all you're doing is getting a nice char on them, and you can eat them. You're not waiting 45 minutes for them to cook all the way through, or you're not giving somebody a salmonella pop. Ooh, salmonella pop. I'm I'm, I'm picturing Homer Simpson responding with the drool to that for some reason. Alright, I asked a question, and it was shouted down in the comments that apparently wasting my time trying to make a Juicy Lucy is wasteful because you could just put cheese on the top. And I agree, cheese on the top is wonderful. But sometimes you want to, you know, 
embrace those Minnesota roots. Remember, some of us don't live in Minnesota anymore, and we have to, you know, do something to make remind ourselves why Minnesota's awesome and everyone else sucks. And one of those is the Juicy Lucy. Um, so the question here is, how should one make a Juicy Lucy? If it's me, since I'm apparently not very good at it, the answer is go to Matt's, purchase a Juicy Lucy. Um, but do either of you have uh, feelings or success with the greatest burger invention of all time? Well, yeah. First, don't go to Matt's. Obviously, you go no. to Blue Door. Uh-uh. Okay, now we're now we're one and one because I'm definitely on Chris's side on this one. If I'm going to play former former arbiter and judge, yeah, I I don't somehow I don't count Blue Door in the same way because I feel like Blue Door is much Better? like we were talking about the well no, just, just like we were talking about the hoity toity ketchup. Like you all are like, oh, that's not ketchup. Well, and if that's not ketchup, then Blue Door is not a juicy Lucy. It's just it's a refined version. I'm talking about the core distilled essence and that's not really blue door blue door is amazing i will gladly eat a blue door anytime somebody wants to suggest it i'm talking about if i had to go back to the roots the homegrown roots of of juicy lucy i don't think that's blue door well and and the correct answer anyways is if you're going for something slightly more upscale is that the nook is the answer you're looking for, not not blue oh, door. God, this anyways, is, continue. This is this is this is going to get dra- drag out bad pretty soon if we don't keep moving. I will I will say I will say separate. Besides the fact that you are both wrong, and that's fine. People can be wrong. <laughs> is that Groveland Groveland Tap is an underappreciated juicy Lucy, and I think we're all in agreement. That the best way to make the best way to make a juicy Lucy is if you live in the Twin Cities area to get in your car and drive to a place to make it for you, and if you don't, to drive to an airport and get on a plane to then go to one of those places with more driving. <laughs> Who will do it for you? Do you think PJ Fleck has now had a juicy Lucy? Oh man! Hey, that's what we need Blake to ask. We need Blake to ask him that at media days. There we go. We've got our we've got our press conference question. He can be that guy. Yes, sweet. Get the Super Bowl questions going for him when he's when he's down there. Uh, honest to God, I would hope so. I mean, he's been there for fucking eighteen months now. So if he hasn't, get on that shit, man. It, it's delicious. Yeah, I mean, one would think he's probably had something like that. Now, I mean, he he posts post pictures of his food quite often apparently he did some interview or, or heather did some interview i can't remember where basically spoon and stable is one of their favorite restaurants so you know he's not he's not getting one there but uh, i would assume that one of his staff has either brought in food or dragged him out to go stop it you know one of the various twin cities establishments where one can get such a burger i feel like you don't have to drag pj fleck to eat food i feel like he'd attack his hunger the same way he attacks life with enthusiasm and eliteness and he would drag you to food is how i feel that would go i mean it wouldn't surprise me that he was doing sled pulls just to keep in shape (laughs) Uh, honestly god i would really like to hang out with that dude for a day like i really would i think it would be hilarious and i would be very tired by the end of the day I think I would know what it would be like to have children because he would probably run you as ragged as, as a young child would. Which, now I feel like I'm insulting him and I don't really mean it that way. I, I can't talk. English is hard. 
Well, um, I'll, I'll take I'll take overview on the English front and get to the last question, which we're going to throw out to initially our food expert, which is Andy here. I was having a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago. It did not come up on our daily go for food question. But what is the appropriate way to grill a steak? And this came about because I had secured a variety of steaks for far too little money, especially as a grad student. This is fantastic. And also, they were definitely going bad. It was one of those, like, you have two hours to cook these things. So I made them by following a recipe that was put on the New York Times website that basically said, throw a bunch of salt on a cast iron, get it really hot, and put a steak down. But I assume that's probably not the ideal way to grill a steak. So what is our ideal way to cook and or grill a steak? See, now I think this is just like one of those ones where there, you know, there are multiple options. Because some people swear by grilling their steak and getting that, you know, getting that char. Some people swear by the cast iron skillet um, and getting a better, you know, seal on like a, on a flat top that way. Um you know, a lot of the a lot of the good steakhouses will uh, will use the big salamander, and and you'll get your sear, and then they'll throw it in an oven, so you get it cooked evenly through. So, and also it sort of depends on the type of steak you want to go. So I'm going to make this a lot more complicated than it needs to be, um, but I'll give you two options. Option one is in Minnesota from say April until November. And that's, you take a decent ribeye, you uh, pull it out of the fridge about an hour before you're going to cook it, throw on uh, both sides liberally kosher salt and pepper, uh, let it get up to about room temperature, and then throw it on your grill and give it about three, four minutes on either side till you get a nice medium rare, and then you can put whatever you'd like on it. I'm a purist, I just eat it plain, but if you, some people need to have their, you know, steak sauce or whatever go right ahead um for those indoor months where you don't want to go pull out your charcoal grill in the middle of december uh, a cast iron skillet will work just fine um you know in this case i usually will tweak it with a little bit of aromatics throw some uh throw about you know half butter half oil in the pan get a good sear on it throw some maybe some chopped garlic a little bit of uh, rosemary if you want to do that and then uh, there's a couple different techniques you can use, whether you just want to let it relax, rest in the oven and let it bring up to temp. Or uh, one, one thing that I've learned from um, somewhere on the Food Network, take your pick of any of the classic chefs, is uh, basically just continually, continually basting it. Uh, you know, you get your, your butter and your oil and you basically just keep basting the top of it while you cook it on the, on the stove top and keeping it moist and keeping it full of juices and flavor and, uh, you know, but the, the most important thing, either way you cook it, is let the damn thing rest. You know, you might want to eat it, eat it right away, but let it sit for 10 or 15 minutes. Otherwise, you're just going to have a stupid mess and all the flavor is going to run out on the on your cutting board and it's going to be a disaster. So I was going to phone a friend here and ask my buddy who just showed up, uh, who makes my favorite steak outside of a steakhouse, how he prepares it. And then you went off and, like gave every detail I could possibly have and now I feel like I don't have the ability to enunciate question wise the appropriate like to even follow so I'm no I'm not even I'm not even gonna tr- he's, he's giving me a look like oh wait dude talked about steak for I'm not yeah, yeah okay anyway I had an answer and he gave a better one so back to not speaking English very well for me I'm sad wah 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 <laughs> Seriously, I was good. 
I had I was gonna have something for this bit now because I can't cook. I can't cook, but I have somebody who can cook right here. But then you had winter preparation and summer preparation and cast iron and I just I got I I can't even begin to ask questions to to follow up to that. So food god, you have your crown. I I bow to you. Well, oh by the way, sure. Street, do you prepare steak or is this just so that Andy could could tell us? All these awesome ways that I can't follow. I followed the New York Times cooking, which was take cast iron, get super hot, light, take, uh, get it so hot and steamy that it sets the smoke detector off in house, apologize to roommates, <laughs> disable smoke detector, throw steak on, get really worried that it's not cooking, watch it unnecessarily long flip it over and over and over again and somehow through uh, sheer accident it turns out kind of okay so I was looking for an upgrade in my own steak as well so I have an important question from my perspective Uh, if you're following the Chris Hockfeld method which is to go to place that makes good steak pay a lot of money which place do you want to pay a lot of money at to enjoy the steak Street, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you on that. Like you're you just wanna eat a steak. It's not you're going to a fancy place that happens to serve steak. No, you, if it's a fancy place, it's a fancy place that exists because it's about steak. Well, I can tell you what my favorite budget thing of all time was, which was a steakhouse chain called Fleming's, for which I ate in Nashville. Yes, and that for about it was on Sunday nights, and I don't know if it still exists. But we went on Sunday night, and for like 25 bucks, you got a 16-ounce steak that was quite good. Admittedly, it's Sunday night, so obviously this is the kind of leftover steak that they are trying to order from a supply perspective. Rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain, for helping explain that. The other thing you got was like a big old thing, a lettuce, which they just called a wedge, which basically, like, they just chopped a thing of lettuce in half and gave it to you. Which, as far yeah, as I'm concerned, wedge, yeah. which, as far as I'm concerned, is like the best way ever to give lettuce because it doesn't even pretend that it's fancy. It's just like, yeah, we got this out of a box and we just put it on the table. And then uh, some pretty delicious cheesecake. So, on a budget perspective, that would probably be it. if I had a stupid amount of money on me, which I no longer do as a grad student, I'd probably go to get me a silver butter knife steak. Andy, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I'll I'll let you go and share. Well, I mean, Manny's is, I guess, the classic standby in the Twin Cities, and it's very good. Um, I don't think Sid listens to our podcast, so I don't think plugging Murray's is going to do me any good and get me a, a, a certificate for a butter knife steak for two anytime soon um you know i guess i haven't been to a ton of high-end steakhouses in the twin cities uh other than other than manny's i mean i think you can get a pretty good steak anywhere you just you know you gotta look around and, and try and find it i mean the, the worst thing is you go to go to a restaurant and you think you're getting a nice steak and you just get a piece of rubber and it's a disaster so um but you know i think Honestly, you know, and I'll, I'll, since you've already given me the credit, 
I can spend one fifth of what I might spend at Manny's and get two really nice quality ribeyes and uh, do it at home, and I'll be just as happy. To tell you the truth, but you know, you don't have that sort of glutton experience. You just you know don't don't bother looking in your wall at the end of the meal because it's going to be gone yeah. too. I think that's what I like about the steakhouse experience is it is a glutton experience. Like you have the app, the appetizer, you have all the drinks, the wine, the steak, the dessert. I don't like the bill at the end of it, but I do like the whole glutton experience that comes with that. That's uh that's, that's good. If you're in Cincinnati, uh, do yourself a favor, check out Jeff Ruby's downtown. Some people will argue with you and tell you to go to the precinct, which is owned by the same people and serves essentially the same steaks. But in Cincinnati, that's actually a battle line. People will fight to the death over that one. Um, and then for chain, I actually kind of like Capital Grill. If I have to go high-end chain, Capital Grill's got this Kona rub they put on their steak, and it just is like... It's like a co- I don't drink coffee, but this like coffee... It's just like chocolatey coffee flavor, which sounds like it'd be horrible, and it's not. It's delicious. Have it. You'll, you'll love it, I swear. And if you don't, well, sorry, you spent a lot of money. Speaking, speaking of gluttony... I, I will close uh, on this as my my story. Uh, have y'all ever been to a Fuddruckers? Dude, Fuddruckers was like my favorite place as a kid because it was, I barely ate anything besides hot dogs and they served hot dogs and there was one in Fargo. Yeah, so this is a, this is a Oh, and they grilled their before. buns. That's what, they grilled their buns too. Yeah, this is, this is over a decade ago and it's back, back when, back when I was in high school. And we were at a Fuddruckers, a bunch of us. Uh, I had a friend named Kevin, spells his name the way that you would expect it to be spelled. And he ordered something, and his order wasn't coming for an extended period of time. But there was an order for someone named Siobhan <laughs> that kept coming, over the, kept coming over the last week. And it came, he was getting more and more aggressive, by the way. So it started out, you know, like, Siobhan, your order is ready. And then, you know, a minute later, Siobhan, your order's ready. And then, I don't know, five minutes later, the person is screaming into the microphone, getting feedback at the restaurant for Siobhan to come get his hamburger. But uh, when we were there, it was the first and only time I've ever actually been to a Fuddruckers. And they had run out of french fries. So the only thing they had on the menu were hamburgers, shakes, and probably hot dogs. So, uh, so Siobhan got his hamburger and a shake, and I discovered that they have like one pound hamburgers, which is an absurd amount for, for a hamburger. And I was bet by a buddy, like for the, the meal, like the cost of the meal, that I could not get through uh, two one pound hamburgers and a shake in like 40 minutes or something. That's a stupid easy bet. It is a stupid easy bet. Uh, at this time, I was a very like thin person, so perhaps he was under the impression I didn't have a stomach. But I'm I'm also didn't want to pay for it, so it's one of those bets I think where you're at the point where it's like, look, this is like thirty bucks on the line. You just gotta gotta fight through. And it's probably the only time in my life where I've ever thought I understand what Kobayashi was feeling when he was eating hot dogs. I actually don't think that two pounds of beef, a couple buns, and a steak or a shake is all that in forty minutes. Uh, yeah, but remember, it's like forty minutes total in the restaurant. So, like, we made this bet waiting in line at Fuddruckers, 
and given the Siobhan experience, it's not like this was the fastest or best uh, best Fuddruckers of all time. So I think it was probably closer to about 25 minutes to do. Wait, they started the clock before you got the food? We started the clock, yeah. My friend and I bet on it. Oh, that's, that's shady. That's shady. I you can't start the clock before you have the food. So it was like 25 minutes. It was, it was solid. Uh, definitely okay. wanted to die for like two and a half weeks, but, you know, worth it for that $30. So here's that's the lesson to be learned. Don't challenge uh, Street to a food eating contest. Or if you do, don't put money on the line. Uh, before we go, before we go, just a couple of quick tidbits to throw in there to take it back to the sports world briefly because I forgot to do it earlier. Uh, one congratulations to Absa Ali, Gopher men's track and field national champion in the three thousand meter steeplechase. Uh, won that last weekend. Um, Gopher baseball went out to Oregon State in the Super Regionals, but uh, really made it a good game in, in Game 2 on Saturday, but just couldn't pull it off. And uh, currently with nine minutes to go in the second quarter, um, Winnipeg Blue Bombers starting quarterback Chris Streveler is 3 for 5 for 36 yards with one touchdown and one interception. That's right, Chris Streveler starting quarterback in the CFL. Yeah, don't get me started on that one. Oh, don't get me started on that one. All right, and on that exciting note, reminding us yet again that we have failed to get a quarterback for so many years. Go Gophers. Sky Yuma, row the boat.